Good morning. I am so glad to be with you uh, in this way. It is uh, certainly new to me, and I hope you'll bear with me as I'm getting used to it, and I hope that uh, in our lessons in the future, I can actually improve and, uh, and do better on this. Uh, I'm excited to learn how to use it. So um, I want to thank you very much for your prayers, and your cards, your thoughts, uh, phone calls and texts. Uh, during my healing process, it has gone very well. I have, uh, it has truly been a blessing for me because I've also been able to make some changes in my health and uh, take care of myself better. And so uh, it's been a silver lining, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, I am doing very well, and I appreciate all your concern. So, as with Today we're going to be looking at Romans, the letter to the Romans that Paul has written. And uh, so this is the very first lesson. But before we get started, let's uh, go to God in prayer. And so we can uh, get our minds in the right context here. Uh, if you'll join me, please. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day you've given us, Lord. We look out and see your creation, which we're going to be reading about even uh, through this letter. We ask, Lord, that you will help us in opening our hearts and minds, uh, help me in presenting it, uh, help my fellow brothers and sisters as, as they are listening and digging into the word themselves. We would ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. We thank you so much, Lord, for the love you show us, uh, for your son Jesus, for what he has done for us, our intermediary the one we can carry our messages to and that he will deliver them to you. We thank you so much, Lord, for everything. We ask your blessings on during this time for us. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, let's get into the lesson itself. So, Romans. So, think of Rome. Rome itself, the city, is the capital city of an empire a very militaristic empire that had conquered so many of the surroundings lands. It had conquered much of the known world at that time, and it was a center of influence and power um, throughout there. Uh, they didn't necessarily just defeat other cultures and lands, but they absorbed them, um, took them into their own empire. Uh, as a Star Trek fan, you might say assimilated. Anyway, so, but in the shadow of this palace of the Caesars there in Rome, there was a group of believers that had come together. They had found each other, a, a common mind, a common purpose to worship God. Now, how did this come about? As, as in anything, first remember the day of Pentecost. When the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit and began preaching and teaching. Do you remember that? Well, among those gathered there were the visitors of Rome, both Jews and proselytes. The verses tell us that. Now, perhaps these very same people heard and believed and acted upon the gospel message, therefore carrying it back to Rome. But also we see from chapter 16 that Paul knows many in the Roman church. He first names Phoebe, who is the bearer of this letter to the church. She is carrying this letter to Rome and to the church there. 
so she must know who to deliver it to. He then names Priscilla and Aquila, who we know helped spread the gospel in Corinth, Ephesus, and now Rome, their home city. Paul then goes on to name many more friends within the church, as well as sending greetings from others to the church in Rome. Think of it like your contact list that you might have today in your phone or even in uh, business when you're networking with uh, business associates, getting names, phone numbers, contact numbers, uh, people you know within the industry. So Paul had not visited Rome to this point, but he had a very great desire to do so. Paul's letter was an introduction of himself to the church there as well as a way to help them understand the doctrine that they were perhaps imperfectly living. Now, imperfectly, I say that because remember that they had no written New Testament for them to consult and be guided by. You know, at any point I can I can reach over and grab my Bible, turn to a letter or the gospel, and I can read and be encouraged, and I can dwell on that and understand it better. But they did not have that. It was word of mouth and written letters to each other, passing along the gospel and explanations. And so as many times as as things are passed in this way, things get left out, they get added, they get changed. And so imperfectly is what happens. Imperfection is what happens. And it's the same with us today. Um, But keep in mind that they are just like us. And as imperfect as they may have been, Paul still calls them to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 13, he says, brethren, brothers and sisters. So he is including them in the family. Even though they are imperfect as we are, we are all part of the family. So the theme of Romans is is actually very simple. In chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Okay, that's the key right there, the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, Paul brings forward verses from the Old Testament all the time through all of his lessons. He realizes that the Old Testament is actually pointing to the New Testament. And this letter can be broken down into two major sections. Specifically, he's talking about doctrine in chapters 1 through 11, and then application, how to live it in our daily lives, in chapters 12 through 15. Paul is teaching about the power of the gospel for salvation and how to apply it to their everyday life and our everyday life. Uh, Romans itself is, is such a major letter for all Christians because Paul applies these things to our lives and we can go here and see it and apply it to ourselves. So, let's actually get into the word here and, and let it talk to us as we go through. So if you want to follow along with me, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, 
which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of Rome, of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making request. If perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Note that the last part of verse 17 is taken from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, where God is speaking to the prophet. Paul knows that the Old Testament is pointing to the gospel of the New Testament and uses those writings in his own letters. Paul starts by affirming his apostleship and presenting his credentials, letting them know that he speaks with authority. He is also telling them about his great desire to be with them and that they are in his prayers. Can you imagine Paul's prayer list? How long it must be for such a, a, a sincere man whose focus is Christ Jesus and the gospel. And he is lifting up everybody that he knows. Far and wide, he's lifting them up in prayer. He must have an amazing prayer list. Well, Paul again is laying out exactly what he wants to convey to them. The gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul is always, in all of his letter, he is tying everything back to the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the salvation that we have through that. Well, Now that Paul has wrapped up his greetings and introduction, he starts into the issues that he's aware of. Now, I say issues because, as we know, even in our congregation, in any congregation, in any group of people, 
sometimes there are things that are not quite right. And we are always working on that. We are an imperfect people. And Paul understands that of this congregation in Rome also. Now, how is he aware of these things? Maybe it's things he's heard from other believers that have traveled back and forth. If you remember, uh, word of mouth is the main form of communication as well as written letters. Um, messengers are traveling between cities, uh, between Corinth and Rome, two major cities. There is a lot of, of uh, travel. Um, it's a, a merchant route. Um, goods are going back and forth. People are traveling. Rome being the center of the government, people are going to be traveling there as well. Uh, Paul is hearing things that uh, about the church there. Uh, brothers and sisters are carrying things back to him. I also have to believe, and this is just uh, my thought, that perhaps God is even inspiring Paul to understand these things and write to them. Um, we know that all of Paul's writings are inspired by God, so I think that God is is pointing him in this direction as well. And that's, that's just my own thought. Uh, I just throw it out there for, for discussion. Um, but Paul wants to get the church, any church, back on the right track and keep them in the salvation of the gospel. Keep in mind that although Paul's writing this to the church in Rome, he could very well be writing this letter to the church of today, to us, to here in Anchorage, to Seward, to Fairbanks, Throughout the world, any congregation of believers. Okay, so let's get back in the word, starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God, now, wrath. I don't want you to think anger. Think displeasure, for the displeasure of God. Okay? Okay, so, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. All right, let's stop here. So what is this truth that is being suppressed? Well, it's the character of God and his invisible qualities revealed in creation. He has demonstrated himself through what he has made, his creation. We look out among it, and that's, that's creation, everything that we're seeing. Have you ever heard the phrase natural revelation? Well, that means that God is revealing himself through his creation. Look at our mountains, our forests, the rivers, the oceans, and every animal. Here in Alaska, we're actually very fortunate. You know, many times we get these animals in our in our yards, just passing through. Um, we look out at the mountains, the the sky, the forests, and, and and do you see God in that in His creation? I look out at a, a huge crabapple tree in my neighbor's yard, and it is just full of fruit. And I see God's hand in that. Do you? Do you look at what we have around us? I mean, we are truly blessed in this creation that surrounds us. 
Okay, so let's get back into verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Uh, stop there, that word fools. We've seen in, in other verses, other books, that anytime you call somebody a fool, it is a serious matter. So Paul is not taking this lightly. All right? Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Idolatry. He's talking about idolatry. They worshipped creation by making idols they could see and touch. So many times in our faith, our, our faith can fade because, because we, we can't reach out and touch something. We can't see God in, in a, a godly form. We can't smell or taste. You know, we can't use our senses. And we just want to be able to touch something. And these people have done exactly that. They have, have made images you know, and at first it's it's representations, but then it, it changes to an actual worship of that idol. Think back to the pharaohs of Egypt who who called themselves gods. They made themselves deity. Or uh, the Grecian myths, Apollo of Greece, or the eagle of Rome, the bull of India, the serpent of Assyria. So are these things still happening today in various forms? Yes, throughout the world, even here in America. Now, we don't necessarily have to have a, a carved or graven or cast image to be worshiping an idol, to make something an idol. Because anything that takes your focus away from God can be that idol, whether it's money, power, work, Whatever we are exchanging our time for, our focus, that becomes our idol. Paul was writing this letter from Corinth, the location of Aphrodite's temple. You know, so, so idol worshiping was continuing at that time. It was everywhere. And Paul is very aware that, that in Aphrodite's temple, their temple prostitutes were used sexually as an act of worship to false gods. And uh, surely this must have been on Paul's mind as we go on to the next verses. So let's go on to verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural and in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts 
in receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Passions, sins of the flesh, sensuality, sexual impurity. These two verses describe the exchange of natural relations for unnatural relations. Homosexuality, other acts of sexual impurity, It's quite the opposite of what God intended for us as a gift of sex in the context of marriage between man and woman. This wrongful exchange of God's truth for lies. And there would be consequences. God has a purpose for all of his guidance. When we choose the wrong path, we can suffer the consequences. In this case, sexually transmitted diseases were very prevalent at that time in Corinth and Rome. Hundreds of thousands were killed by the spread of STDs. Now, can you even uh, picture a life-threatening disease spreading without proper medical care? Well, we have an example of that right now in this pandemic. A a disease, a sickness that we're having trouble getting control of. Uh, We don't have a vaccine. We don't have a cure. Uh, it is is spreading through our own interaction, um, and, and it is not under control. Well, at that time, through the spread of, of impurities, uh, passions of the flesh, sins of the flesh, uh, things were spreading, and he's calling these things to mind. But but even homosexuality in the context of of marriage, the natural order of man and woman that God wanted. So God desires sexual purity for us, his children, not only for possible health reasons, but so that we can be right before God. Now, will we stumble? Yes, we will, and many do. But because of the gospel, we have a way to get right with God again and again and again. You know, go back to the Israelites. They failed God so many times over and over again and again. And he continued to take them back and bless them. He will do the same thing to us today. So many times I have seen brothers and sisters stumble in sin and think that that it is too great to overcome. That they have have just done the ultimate, and they can no longer be before God. I have actually had friends think that, and that is the wrong way of thinking about it. Through the gospel, we have a a way to get right with God again and again through repentance. All right, so let's get back into the verses. Let's go to verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, 
that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Now, for the third time here, Paul is saying God gave them over, gave them up to act on their own desires. So what Paul is saying here is that sin starts in the mind. It starts, he calls it the depraved mind. It starts in the mind, and then it proceeds to action. Verses 29 through 31, Paul writes a list of sinful actions and characteristics. And every one of these on the list requires a willful decision from the mind to action to veer from what God wants from us. And what is the consequence of these decisions? Well, he says they are worthy of death. Now, it's not necessarily a physical death that he's talking about, although the outcome may be the ending of a life, but certainly a spiritual death separate and apart from God. Paul adds that not only do some people choose sin, knowing it is against God, but they encourage the same actions in others. They want others to join in with them. And I can remember as a, as a child... Uh, many times that I was in trouble because I had joined in doing something with my friends that was not quite right according to what my parents were teaching, which had the basis of God's teaching. My friends would invite me and encourage me, and even peer pressure, which is, is so great on us, they would get me to join in and and do something. And, and when I get caught being so much trouble. And I'm sure that you've dealt with these same situations in your life growing up or maybe even as an adult. We can still feel this peer pressure. We can still make these bad decisions. Um, But we have to know that we have the gospel that we can turn back to every time. All right, so now we're going to go into chapter two. And Paul is switching gears in this letter. And he's going to be dealing with the Jewish moralist. And and that is that someone who thinks he is above others and passes judgment on them, even though he's doing the same sinful actions. Uh, Do you remember the Pharisees? They're a member of an ancient, ancient Jewish sect and distinguished by strict observance of traditional and written law and commonly held to have pretensions to superior sanctity. I am better than you. Paul understood this way of thinking because he himself was a Pharisee. He identified with that. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, uh, Paul says, If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. Paul is calling himself out. So, he understands them. Now let's get into verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse Every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Okay, now let's stop here. 
This brings to mind the old saying that when you point fingers at other people, the rest of your hand is pointing back to you. Keep that in mind. Okay, verse 2. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now remember, Paul knows exactly what he's talking about as he was that same person in his previous life. Verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Again, we note that Paul speaks from experience as the kindness of God through Jesus Christ led him to his conversion and repentance. God could have just left him to his own and let him take himself to his spiritual death. But he did not. The kindness of God led him to conversion and repentance. Okay, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath in revelation of the righteous righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Think back to when the people of Israel were about to enter the promised land. God had commanded them to remain separate from their pagan neighbors. He had commanded them to not make treaties with them, not intermarry with them, or expose themselves to any form of pagan worship. He wanted them apart so that they did not influence his children. And most of the Israelites took this to an extreme. For example, it was against Jewish custom to associate with Gentiles, you and me, in any way. Gentiles ate unclean foods that were prohibited by the Jewish law. Therefore, Gentiles were unclean. Mixing with Gentiles rendered a Jew ceremonially unclean, as did entering a Gentile building or handling the belongings of a Gentile. Even sitting at a table with a non-Jew would make a Jew contaminated. You know, even walking through a marketplace and, and touching the things now would make them contaminated. Now, these traditions even caused some of the apostles to hesitate in reaching out to the Gentiles with the gospel. Remember that in Christ, there are no ethnic distinctions when it comes to salvation or Christian principles. In Galatians 3, verse 28, Paul writes, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
All right, so let's get back into the verses. Verse 12 of chapter 2. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Paul is saying that obedience is what counts, not just knowing right from wrong, but obedience, the action. Verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So, Paul is saying here that God will judge all of humanity, Jews and Gentiles, you and I, and the agent of his judgment will be Christ Jesus. His evaluation will focus on the secret actions and the non-actions of each of us. On judgment day, all that is hidden will be revealed. No second guessing about motives. God's judgment will be impartial, perfect, and absolute. I hope that you've gained some insight as to Paul writing to the church in Rome as we try to apply it to ourselves today. I know that there is so much more we could have gleaned from this, and unfortunately we have time limits for our class, and I could have gone on so many different roads. Um, and in, in our future classes, I hope that I can even improve. I, I thank you for your patience in this, uh, using this Media is a first for me, and I hope to improve. Um, But next week, we're going to see Paul turn his focus on his fellow Jews as he speaks from personal experience. And I really urge you to spend time reading the, the first three chapters of Romans to review today's lesson, as well as prepare for next week's lesson. And if you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to email me or contact me. I would love to hear from you. I would love to discuss, get your insights into any of this. Uh, certainly, uh, my study is, is imperfect, and uh, uh, so I would like to hear from you as well. I hope that God will bless you as you open your heart to him, and I look forward to our next lesson together. Take care. God bless.